You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant. To shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Hey listeners, it's Lauren Lee Chen here with Aaron and Joshua Fishman. This episode is going to be focused on the Cleveland Cavaliers, who have had a bit of a rough road this year, dealing with injuries to key players all season, and struggling a bit more than we've been used to, especially in this past month. To help us parse through all that, we brought on Justin Rowan, who covers the Cavaliers on SB Nation's Fear the Sword. Justin became a fan of the Cavaliers when he was an undersized 6'2 center, playing high school basketball in snowy Winnipeg, Manitoba. He was searching for a player whose game he could try to emulate, and landed on Carlos Boozer, then a breakout second-round draft pick for the Cavs. While he wasn't happy about how Boozer's tenure with Cleveland ended, he's remained a Cavs fan since. Hey, Justin. Thanks for joining us tonight. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. It's good to have you on. Earlier this week, there was an interesting situation for the Cavs. They had recently picked up Andrew Bogut. He made his first appearance in their game against the Miami Heat on Monday, but less than one minute into his appearance, (laughs) he went down with an injury. I believe it was a broken leg. Can you just describe that moment as someone watching from a Cavs perspective? Well, I mean, you obviously feel for Bogut. He hasn't been that good this year, both coming off of his injury that he suffered in the finals last year. He's dealt with various injuries all year, and his play really hasn't been great. But um, I, I guess many were hopeful that he, he'd get a fresh start in uh, Cleveland. I'm not a big Bogut guy, so <laughs> having him off the team isn't the worst thing in the world for me. But obviously, it's disheartening. You, you don't want to see anybody get hurt. And um, it it's, ends up being an expensive situation for the Cavs because th- they're going to have to waive them inevitably at the end of this road trip and pick up somebody else. And there's talk that they're looking to add another buyout player. So it just adds to this kind of historic tax bill that the uh, Cavs have been paying. Yeah, as you said, he hasn't had necessarily that great of a season, but... I think the Cavs were looking for him to fill the backup big man slot that they've been missing, hopefully provide maybe 10 to 15 minutes against some teams in the postseason, just of defense and rebounding in a situational sense. They're looking at other venues to try to fill that spot now. Sham Sharania reported that they're in advanced discussions with Larry Sanders bringing him back into the league. Do you have more information on any of those other candidates that the Cavs could be looking at? Well, I think Larry Sanders, Sanders was kind of my preferred option, um, even though he's been out of the league. And from what I hear, he is fairly out of shape. They do have some time before um, he's going to need to play in the finals against the Warriors. There's time to do some conditioning and he does have upside with Bogut's okay, he, he's going to give you six fouls at the rim, maybe play some defense, some passing. But Sanders can uh, he bring some youth and athleticism to the team, which 
I mean, we, we've seen with Derek Williams that if you can at least find the holes in the defense and move off ball, LeBron's going to get you some easy looks. So I think that will help his transition. If they weren't going to go Sanders' direction, the other options they could go, I believe Jared Selinger is a free agent uh, with Ohio State connections, although he doesn't necessarily bring you the uh, defense. And uh, Eric Moreland's a, a big man playing for the Canton charge that they might have looked at, but it really does sound like Sanders is the direction they're going to go. They may also waive uh, DeAndre Liggins to open up room for another addition. They might look at bringing Omri Caspi back to Cleveland. So I think that would give them some toughness on the wing. But from the last workout Sanders had in Cleveland, both Kyrie Irving and uh, Tyron Liu spoke out to how, how good he looked and, and kind of vouched for him that they wanted him on the team. So it looks like he's going to get that opportunity to uh, try to make it back in the league. Yeah, Larry Sanders would definitely be an interesting acquisition. I know there were a number of suitors reportedly for him, and it's been a while since he's been in the league two seasons. He tweeted earlier that he should get his goggles ready. I thought that was funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, he's, he's definitely going to bring a lot of personality to the team, um, which can, can be a good thing. I, I think it they they have the right type of culture for that. And they also have a history of dealing with players that have suffered with uh, mental illness issues. Mm-hmm. Um, Delonte West uh, obviously had some pretty public issues with the Cavaliers and um, has talked recently about how LeBron is still a big part of his life and, and supporting him and helping him work through that. So having LeBron, who's familiar with having a teammate uh, with those issues and kind of what's involved there, I I think it could be a good supportive situation for him. Yeah, definitely good points. Just talking about how the team is doing more broadly, they're not doing too great, to put it bluntly. They're kind of in a state of flux with these injuries, people coming back from injury, recent acquisitions. They're 3-5 and since the All-Star break or five mm-hmm. and five since Kevin Love's injury, you could say, three straight losses. How would you assess where they stand right now? To what extent do you think they still are the favorites to come out of the East? I still think they're the favorites to come out of the East. Um, it's going to take some while to integrate these new uh, pieces in. Uh, they played extensive minutes against the Pistons with uh, both Williams's and J.R. Smith. So from a continuity standpoint, that's basically starting from scratch. They obviously do have some concerns, as as funny as it is to say, J.R. Smith has been their best perimeter defender the last couple of years, at least in the regular season. So you, you look at kind of their year-long defensive rating, the first major hit that they took was when Smith went out. And then since then, after the Kevin Love injury, their their defense has only got worse. Love's made some big strides this defensively. He's a plus defender. And replacing him with Channing Fry not only does that hurt your depth on the bench it really does hurt your defense so there are some concerns but with love three weeks back from knee surgery jr smith returning now i think there's still time to kind of get some chemistry back get their legs under them prior to playoffs and as we've seen in the past i mean last year's Cavs team kind of backed into the playoffs as well and they showed that they have another gear so while I don't think it should be assumed that they can do it again, they've shown that. I, I think it might be a bit bumpier of a road, but I still think they are the favorites to come out of the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I think that's fair. With these LeBron-led teams every year in the finals, 
sometimes they don't seem like they'll get there easily, but they just routinely are able to do it. There are some hot teams like the Wizards. The Celtics have been matching up decently well with the Cavaliers lately, too. I want to talk about more LeBron James's workload in particular. There's been a lot made of that just nationally. I think a lot of people are paying attention to that. His minutes are up this year, and for good reason. He's been rested a little more lately. He uh, didn't play in two of the last seven games. So I think that's been more of a priority. From your perspective, how is Tyron Lue approaching this and just weighing the regular season record with rest for postseason? Um, it's tough because LeBron's talked about this before, but the extensive pregame routine that he goes through, which is just hours long of physical preparation and stuff like that. If he doesn't play at least 34 minutes, he's just absolutely livid. He, he views it as he shouldn't have even played at all because it's a waste uh, for all the preparation he goes through. Obviously, his minutes per game are up, but when you look at total minutes played, he's around 13th in the league. So I I think with getting him those off nights, making sure that he doesn't play a lot of back-to-backs, almost all of his rest situations have come in back-to-backs. I think they are allowing for his body to recover. Um, He he does uh, sit out practices as well, so that's minutes taken off of his body that doesn't necessarily show up in, in minutes per game. Basically, he pays more money and spends more attention on his body than anybody else. And with him feeling confident that he is getting enough rest and, and not really being concerned with it, as well as the, the medical staff that they have assigned to him, I'm not too concerned. It would be nice if the minutes were lower and theoretically, if they were healthy, the depth of this Cavs team would almost force him to rest, I think. The addition of Darren Williams is a big part of trying to get him rested so that they have someone to run that second unit. But it'd be nice to get him more rest, but I'm not too, too concerned. Although um, the more minutes you play, the more susceptible you are to an injury. He's getting a lot of MVP mentions, and I think for good reason. A lot of guys are having really good years. I think most notably James Harden, Russell Westbrook, LeBron James, and Kawhi Leonard are being listed atop. MVP consideration. What do you think LeBron James's case is for the MVP? And also, if you have a sense of how much individual honors like MVP matter to LeBron, I'm curious mm-hmm. about that too, relative to obviously people want to win, but relative to winning a championship and team accomplishments. I believe it was Brian Windhorst actually that uh, had talked about this recently. Uh, actually, no, it was David Griffin, Cavs GM, talking to Zach Lowe. He said from his sense, LeBron doesn't really care too much about the regular season MVP at this point. His focus is more on getting a finals MVP. He he wants another one of those. I I think LeBron does have a good case for MVP. Right now, in my mind, James Harden would still probably be the front runner, although Kawhi Leonard is certainly making a great case for himself as well. The, The case for LeBron really centers around how you define value. Now, LeBron has the Cavs as the number one seed in the East. They've been top-heavy all year. They've had injuries. As I mentioned, J.R. Smith's been their best perimeter defender, and he's missed time. Kevin Love has missed time. They've had a thin bench, so he's really had to shoulder more of a load than you'd like. He hasn't got to coast as much as he has in the past. So when 
you criticize LeBron, it, it typically comes with his defense, that he, he's holding something back for the playoffs. But really, when you're trying to assign value, the ultimate goal is to win a title. So if he's doing this with keeping in mind preserving his body for a long run, that to me is more valuable. You don't want somebody that wears themselves out in the regular season. Um, we, we've seen James Harden struggle in the playoffs. We've seen Russell Westbrook struggle. Kyle Lowry's another example of a guy that burns himself out in the regular season. So it, it really does come down to, okay, so yes, he is saving himself. He's still putting up these MVP numbers. He still has his team as the one seed. Obviously, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, they, they have superior box score numbers. But when you look at the the on-off of impact of LeBron James, it's still right up there with them. So um, maybe it's a, a bit of a legacy award to some extent, the same way Kobe Bryant had got it uh, when he won his MVP. But it, it's tough. I mean, there, there's so many great seasons, as you mentioned, so... Um, I think pretty much everybody is a, a worthy candidate. It's always awkward <laughs> segueing from LeBron James to anyone else. So I'm just going to do it. Kyle Korver, he is not LeBron James, but he currently is playing <laughs> an important role on the team. What exactly is that role? And how do you think it might change now that Smith is back? I know Korver's day-to-day and with Kevin Love hopefully returning for the playoffs too. Yeah, I think Corver's uh, going to play an important role in this team. I think the guy that loses most of his minutes is going to be Amon Shumpert. Um, I think J.R. Smith comes back in that starting role, and Corver is going to be the first wing off the bench. They really like what he can bring to the floor, uh, the spacing that he provides, the offense that he can generate. He obviously doesn't have the same quickness and defensive ability that he had in the past, but he's still a smart team defender, and he has quick hands. And he's a willing passer, too, which works well in the Cavs system. So I I still do expect him to get around 20 minutes per game, even in the finals. I think he's such a matchup problem, and he creates so much spacing for LeBron, as well as Kyrie Irving, that the more minutes that you can have him on the floor, and as long as he's not getting um, abused on a defensive end, you, you try to keep him out there as long as humanly possible. You mentioned earlier that J.R. Smith has been the Cavaliers' best perimeter defender this season when he's been healthy. How much better are the Cavaliers with him back? I think it makes a huge difference. It's funny, for LeBron's rants about the team missing a playmaker, J.R.'s injury really kind of screwed with their plans because initially they thought they were going to have Mo Williams. He ended up retiring on media day at basically at 9 in the morning. And then when JR got hurt, they lost a lot of playmaking. They they lost somebody that could dribble, create shots for himself and others. They had to move Amon Shumpert to the starting lineup while he was running back a point guard for some time. So I think JR really does make them better. It, it's going to take time for him to get his shot back, but having another player that can potentially go get hot on any night and does bring defensive impact. It's a huge weapon for Tyron Lue. When, when you have multiple shooters, you can afford a cold night from Corver. You can afford a cold night from JR, frankly. You just cycle whichever wing is hot. I, I think one thing we're seeing with the Warriors this year is without multiple three-point shooters, they don't really have depth beyond Curry, Clay Thompson, and, and Durant when it comes to the three-point line. 
they don't have the most baits. They don't have all these guys, the Brandon Rushes, Harrison Barnes that you can rotate in. So when your your main guys are going cold, it helps to have someone like JR that can give you 20 points on any given night. What do you think is going on with Iman Shumpert? Do you think it's pretty much that he's still feeling the effects of his injuries? Because the Cavaliers obviously expect him to be much better than he's shown this season so far. Shumpert's shown a lot of inconsistency in his time with the Cavs. Um, he, he can be a good defender, but his defensive impact really doesn't live up to its reputation. He shot the ball relatively well. He's showing an improved handle, but it basically comes down to consistency with Shumpert. He doesn't bring the same effort on any given night, and uh, when his shot isn't falling, he is kind of prone to go rogue within the offense. And I think that unpredictability is why they're going to favor guys like JR and Corver, who Corver brings reliability. JR brings other things, um, even though he can be unpredictable. Uh, they, they really do simplify his role, too, when you catch the ball, shoot. So I, I think that's why they're kind of going to lean on other options. I don't know if it's necessarily an injury thing with Shumpert, because this has been a trend throughout his time with the Cavs. Channing Fry is another guy on the team who's kind of unpredictable and inconsistent, which could be a big reason why LeBron earlier this season kept referring to the team needing another playmaker. Mm-hmm. What do you think he meant by that? Exactly. And do you think the Cavaliers have adequately addressed his concerns with their additions, especially Darren Williams? Well, the playmaker thing, as I said, that became a bigger issue after JR got hurt. Because then LeBron with the second unit without Shumpert was just getting absolutely torched. I mean, it was one of the Cavs' worst lineups. Uh, Channing Fry was, was in there, but teams were really doubling LeBron, trying to get the ball out of his hands and daring anybody else to kind of do anything. So w- without a secondary playmaker, without someone that could dribble and, and create looks, uh, that lineup really lost a lot of its effectiveness. So I do think the addition of Darren Williams does help that a lot. Derek Williams has also helped as well. Um, having an athletic guy to play with those bench units really is a weapon that LeBron likes to utilize with his passing. Channing Fry's inconsistencies, it, it's been a tough year for Fry. I mean, he had lost his mother uh, to cancer uh, very early in the season, and within a couple of weeks he lost his father. Um, so it's obviously an emotional time for him. I, I think there's been some struggles there. And then recently with Kevin Love going down, he has to play more at power forward. He really does excel in kind of that stretch five role against power forwards. You have quicker defenders. You have more mobile guys. You're not really able to expose them the same way you are at center. So I think a lot of his uh, struggles at times can be attributed to that. Yeah, running theme of this episode has been the Cavs' inconsistency in terms of players playing well, health, and also incorporating new teammates via trade or free agency. As you alluded to earlier, recently sometimes the Cavs have essentially had to start from scratch with some lineups never having played with each other before. With all that in mind, and with the Cavs still holding on to first seed in the East, how would you assess how Tyron Liu has dealt with that situation as head coach this season? I think there's been hiccups. I think sometimes it'd be nice to see him stick with lineups a a little longer than he does to try to get some continuity. Overall, I think it's been a good job. It's it's really tough um, when you do have a team that 
I mean, like it or not, they, they do have a switch. LeBron has another level of, of playing hard, and some nights he just plays absolutely no defense at all. Kyrie Irving, it's the same thing. You don't see Kyrie really attempt to play defense if it isn't against a good team or in the playoffs. So I, I think when you have inconsistency uh, from the leaders up top, it makes it tougher to hold the rest of the team accountable. It, it makes it tough to game plan around. I, I think given all the issues they've had, all the injuries, it, it really he has done a good adjustment there. But it, it's always hard to say. Uh, when you're dealing with this much talent on the team, it can make up for a lot of issues. Uh, I think we saw him make a lot of good adjustments in the playoffs, and and that's really where the test's going to be for Tyron Lue because uh, that's when you see over the course of a series the impact a coach can have, the adjustments they make to the matchups, the adjustments they make to the other team's adjustments. That's that's where the value of a coach really comes through. One guy that has provided the Cavs with continuity, especially this season, I think, is Tristan Thompson. He hasn't mm-hmm. missed a game since his rookie season when he missed six. Those are his only missed games in his entire career. This season and in the previous postseasons, he has been so valuable to the Cavs in terms of offensive and defensive rebounding and just providing a big body in the post. Mm-hmm. What else can you say about his contributions? I think the biggest thing he's added this year is interior defense and rim protection. Thompson's biggest value defensively prior to this season uh, was his ability to switch on to guards in the pick and roll. He, he had mobility. He was able to defend Draymond Green. He played good defense on Steph Curry even for some possessions. Um, so that's always been his biggest value. But this year, he, he's turned into one of the better rim protectors and defenders within six feet of the basket. So when you see that addition to his game, as well as uh, improved passing out of the short pick and roll, he really has embraced the role that this team needs him to play. He, he's kind of the opposite of Amon Shumpert, who who can go rogue and try to do too much. Thompson's a role player that accepts his role. He, he gives you the same effort if he's getting 15 shots or if he's getting none. And he doesn't try to do anything that he, he shouldn't be doing out there. So really, when it comes down to being a model of consistency and, and what you want from a role player on a championship team, Thompson kind of embodies a lot of that. And another guy, LeBron's second in command now, Kyrie Irving. He's having his best season out as a pro. Some people already call him maybe the best one-on-one player in the NBA. He's had numerous heroic moments where he can come up with big shots in critical junctures. And people forget that this guy's not even 25 yet. His 25th birthday is less than two weeks from this interview. Do you think we're seeing peak Kyrie right now, or are there other places that his game can still improve? I I think there's still a fair amount of growth ahead for Kyrie. He really is so much younger than a lot of his, his peers, which just given what he's already done in his career, I think it's forgotten. He's four years younger than Isaiah Thomas. He's two years younger than John Wall and Damian Lillard. So I, I think when you see kind of the, the growth arcs that all those players have shown, the the best is still kind of ahead for Kyrie. And last year, his growth kind of stagnated, just recovering from that injury that he had suffered in the 2015 finals. One of the biggest things we've seen from Kyrie this year is he has grown as a playmaker. 
even though he's still playing off ball with LeBron, his potential assists are, are way up. Uh, he's already averaging the most assists per game out of any LeBron teammate ever. When you look at how many assist opportunities he creates per game, it, it's right up there with Isaiah Thomas. They, they have basically an identical potential assist per game, even though he handles the ball 10 times less a game. So I think you are seeing growth from Kyrie. It'd be nice to see more defensive consistency from him. He, he's a below-average defender that can play break-even defense or even good defense at times. But certain situations, especially off-ball, he'll fall asleep off-ball, and his pick-and-roll struggles have obviously received a lot of attention. Man-to-man defense, he, he plays well, but just consistency doesn't seem to be there from him, as with the rest of the team as well. But his overall impact this season, it, it's just incredible. He's the, the most points per game any LeBron teammate has ever had is weighed with 25.5, and Kyrie's right up there with 25.2. And he, as I already mentioned, he's averaging the most assists per game out of any LeBron teammate. So when you look at those two factors, that's just a, a load that LeBron has never had carried by a teammate. So he, he really has shown a lot of growth. Um, and the fact that he, he has scored at a career-high rate with a career-high field goal percentage while they've also integrated Kevin Love, who who's, was having a great year prior to his injury, I think that is one of the biggest testaments towards the job that Tyrone Lou has done for this team. I'm going to preface this one by saying this is kind of a weird question. And <laughs> I know that Kyrie Irving's passing isn't the thing that gets the most praise for his game. But just down the line, if LeBron James weren't on this team, um, and I know maybe having LeBron could help the assist numbers in a way, do you think that Kyrie Irving's passing numbers, assists per game, could be larger hypothetically on a non-LeBron team? Okay. Yeah. um, When you look at his assist percentage when LeBron's off the court uh, over the last few years even – it's up there, I believe it's about 44% that he's assisting on 44% of his uh, teammates' baskets. The the biggest girl this year, he, he's always played a point guard when LeBron was off the floor and actually played that passing game, but now he's starting to get the assist with LeBron on. He, he's starting to find those cutters. And it's funny, um, for as good as LeBron is, he doesn't exactly give you a lot of assist opportunities because when you pass to him, he likes to kind of hold the ball, get isolation, wait to get a guy one-on-one. And by the time he, he drives for a basket, he, he the assist opportunity isn't really there. Of course, he's also great off ball, and, and he does get you so many opportunities and gets you good looks. But um, it, it really has been the growth of getting those assists with LeBron on the floor, not just looking to score that has shown the best growth for Kyrie as uh, a passer. I, I don't think he should ever be a 10 assist per game guy. I just don't think that would be the best use of his talent. I, I think the perfect balance for him would be something like we've seen from Steph Curry the last couple of years uh, with a guy that's maybe getting 26 points, um, t- seven assists. Uh, he's right near six assists per game this year. So I think if he was handling the ball as a primary ball handler and responsible for creating for everybody else, that we would see a higher assist total from him. Cool. Thanks for humoring me. We were all just curious about that. Yeah, no problem at all. This is the last question. We really appreciate your time and insight. It's been a great episode. 
The last thing I wanted to ask you is about LeBron James off the court. He's increasingly mm-hmm. used his voice and platform to speak <laughs> out on a number of issues, social, political, Charles Barkley, <laughs> whatever. But I think it, it's some combination of him just being a product of the social media age, but also LeBron James just being really unique of a superstar. As we know, superstars in the NBA have not been like him in that aspect. Tell me a little bit about that from your perspective. LeBron is a weirdo. <laughs> I don't think there's any way to uh, put it beyond that. Like uh, he, He's just a different guy. I think all things considered, given his upbringing, given the, the attention that he received at such a young age, uh, the whole chosen one thing, the fact that he, he's kind of turned out to be just this dorky dad, is probably the closest thing to normal that could have humanly been possible. We, we see so many other stars in the NBA that just uh, never were able to achieve that life balance. Uh, you look at Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, and they've always been these kind of loner guys. LeBron lashing out, I, I think, has been more about being comfortable in his accomplishments. I, I think after winning a championship, especially winning a championship in Cleveland, yeah, I think he feels that he's validated himself in, in a way that he was searching to do throughout his career. So he's more comfortable in his own skin. You see him taking shots at other players, talking a little more trash. Um, he, he really seems to, I don't know what the best way to put it is, but he, he kind of seems like he's at peace with himself, that he can go out there. He he just doesn't. He doesn't care as much as he used to about what everyone else thinks. He, he he feels like he's accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. Obviously, he still has more more goals beyond what he's done so far, but I think he's kind of found that validation. So that's why you see him feeling like he can speak out uh, on behalf of the players, on behalf of the league, go after Charles Barkley, troll the Warriors, stuff like that. Like I, I think where he's at in his career is the biggest driving force behind all of that commentary. Yeah, I think it's definitely refreshing to some extent. (laughs) The Barkley thing, that would have never happened with any other player in NBA history, especially any player that was that good and that dominant. Just crazy, I think. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. We really appreciate having you on, though. Have a good night and enjoy the stretch run. It's going to be exciting. (laughs) No problem. Thanks for having me on, guys.